All right, so Luke 9, 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Heavenly Father, as Brother Peter comes forward to share the word that you've laid on his heart, may our hearts be open to hear from you through him today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. And then so teens and kids, we can be dismissed to go back to our classes and have some age-appropriate instruction there. Thanks, guys. Good morning, church. You know, I was uh, listening to the last song that uh, Patricia and the uh, worship team was uh, singing, and, uh, you know, just thinking about when we hear sermons and we get convicted in our hearts, you know, we can get that feeling of guilt sometimes, like, you know, we're not really doing what we know we should be doing. But that song there really just puts it in perspective. You are great in love, rich in mercy. You know, God's mercies are renewed daily. So, you know, just, just think about, we always have an opportunity to just go right back to him. We all do. And that's the beauty about God. So today, uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of things today. I know if you read the email that Pastor sent out this morning, I think it said the sermon title was called uh, The Ripple Effect. Because I gave that to him like a week ago. But you know how God is. Right? God start moving in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, and you end up changing up based on where God has sent leading you. And so, uh, you know, I changed the title of the sermon to Relentlessly Harvest. Also, I'm going to pull out my phone here because, you know, I can go over time, and so I want to make sure that I'm trying to stay on time, but I do have some things that God has put on my heart to say today, and so I do want to make sure that we, we be able to get through it. Uh, I have some slides, and I'm going to show you some pictures here, guys. These pictures are from uh, Harvey, uh, uh, Hurricane Harvey. I don't know uh, if you were here during that time. Some of you guys were. Others may have moved in after uh, Harvey. Uh, but, you know, uh, I was reflecting on it just a couple of days ago and thinking about what God did during that time, right? And so you'll see, like, you can see these pictures, houses completely flooded. This is real, right? And who was here, they know that. I saw many of them personally. Uh, if you go to a couple other slides, you'll see 
Uh, you see cars were flooded, other houses and whole neighborhoods completely flooded where they had to actually evacuate on boats, right? Uh, and so what happened is, is that people needed a lot of things. People needed places to stay. People needed food. People needed their dogs to be and, and cats and animals to be taken care of. And I thought about that time, and I remember the day we were sitting over here in the uh, cafe, the day that Harvey kind of hit, and myself, Pastor, I believe uh, maybe uh, Eric also, we were sitting there, we was like, what are we going to do? And we didn't really have the resources and everything to really do anything, but, you know, outside of the space here, but we said, you know what, we got to start moving. And so we started moving, we started bringing people in. Many of you guys who was here, this whole sanctuary was full of beds, right? Hundreds of people here, hundreds of people out there in the gym area. People were everywhere. We had rooms that was filled with animals. Uh, and, you know, it was interesting during that time because we didn't know how, it was gonna, how we were going to make it all come together. But God started to work. When we started to work, God started to work, right? And so we just started to just do what God told us to do. And you got to understand, this wasn't a day. This went on for weeks, right? You know, first days, the days, okay, days, then turns to weeks. I think I actually, like, was off work for, like, two or three or four weeks because I was here. And when I said I was here, I was here probably 22 hours out of the day, unless I was going to try to find people to pick them up, right? And I remember sleeping in my car for an hour, not getting much sleep. But then, you know, I, I thought about what motivated us back then and what was going on at that time. And I asked myself, what did my heart and spirit felt? And I felt like I was doing the work of Christ. I felt that I was shining a light on many people, and I saw God working. I felt close to Christ, closer than normal, than every day. Because ultimately, I asked myself, why was that? And I believe it's because I was fulfilling the purpose that Christ has for each and every one of us, which is to shine his light amongst all the people around us. And, you know, it didn't stop after that. After the waters receded, we had to go and help people, you know, rip out their houses. You know, a lot of people were still trying to figure it out. And so, again, it wasn't like, like I said, it was uncomfortable in some ways, right? Because you had to sacrifice your time, energy, and effort but you felt close to Christ. And, you know, I asked myself, you know, for others as you who, who was here to experience some of that, what, what do you feel? Right? How do you feel? And the people I've talked to have all experienced something very similar. They felt this light of Christ shining upon other people. And... It's interesting because I believe it's because we lived out and we were living out the purpose that God has for us. So I'm going to hit it pretty quickly today on what our big idea is, what the whole purpose of this sermon is today. We are here for one purpose, and it's to share the light of Jesus. That's, that's what we're here for. That we can complicate it. We could try to put other stuff in the middle of it, but at the end of the day, we are all here for a single purpose. And it's important that we get our minds wrapped around that because if we can't get our minds wrapped around that, the rest of the sermon doesn't matter. We are here for a single purpose. 
Think about that. How do I know this, right? You say, okay, well, Peter, you're saying this stuff. How do you know that's why we're here? And how much influence do you have, Miss Jessica? How much influence do you have to actually make a difference and actually shine that light onto others? So I got uh, three points that I want to make here, and I'm going to go to the Bible on it uh, around how we how we know that this is important for us and this is why we're here. The first point I want to make is we were chosen. We were chosen. If we read 1 Peter 2.9, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into this wonderful light. So what's the first part of that? You are a chosen people, each and every one of us here, each and every one of us watching right now. We're chosen people. God has already chosen us. And not just chosen us where it's like, yeah, you can just come on in and you just kind of hang out in the back. No, God has not only chosen you, but go back, let's see what it says. It says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. Right, so this is, this is something special. God has created us, and we are special to God. Right, that's why his love is so great, and he has so much mercy for us, because he loves us so much, and we're such a special possession. That you may declare the praises of him. So think about it. We're chosen, and we're special to God, and now our job is going to declare the praises of him, who have called us out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You see, when we accept Jesus, we all of a sudden now are walking in Jesus. And the question is, are you actually embracing that and are you sharing that light with others? That's what we're asking ourselves here today. Number two, God has prepared the way. God has already prepared the way for you and I. If we go to Ephesians 2.10, it says... For we are God's handiwork, created in the Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus to do good work. So we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, that last part really gets me. Like, God has already prepared it. So what does that mean? That means before you were even a thought in your mom's or your dad's mind, God has already prepared it. Before we came to this earth, God has already prepared the way for us. And so it's important to understand that this is our destiny. This is where we're supposed to go. This has already been prepared and laid out for us. And the last one really brings it all together for us. Light is meant to break through darkness. Your light is meant to break through darkness. It's not meant to be shuttered in. It's meant to break through darkness. How do we know that? If we go to Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16, it says, this is Jesus talking here now. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others 
so that you may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, when we shine our light, others are ready to come in and join the fold. See, the difference is, is that we may be Christians and we hide in that light and we're walking right past someone who needs a little bit of it, just a glimpse so they can see what they're missing. But if we're not willing to do that, then how are we doing our purpose and living out our purpose? Why do we, why do we even exist then? And so it's important for us to go back to these three and understand we're chosen. God has already prepared the way for us. And we're meant to be able to move out of the darkness and share our light. That's what we're here for. So now that we know our purpose, and also we know that our job is to share the light that we have in Jesus Christ, and we're made to do that, we must now change our thinking. We must change our thinking on how we live out our purpose. And so I want to challenge you today, and I want you to reflect as we go through a couple of other scripture here and understanding how are you living out your purpose today? And again, as we do this, most people who know me, I I challenge a lot, but when I prepare sermons, it's always really for me. So I'm not judging anybody here. This sermon is for me as well, because I realize when I really break it down, then I need to walk more in that light as well. Now, you ask yourself, okay, can we walk in the light and how easy or hard it is? I'm going to tell you, it's a commitment. It's a true commitment. Let's go back to the verses that Eric had read earlier for us. Starting at Luke 9, 57. Yeah, you know, just to give you a little setup here, in, in this part of Luke, which is interesting, my kids and I and, and wife, we've been reading the Bible, and we're actually in Luke right now, so it's kind of ironic how that is. I think this verse probably came to me as one of the days we were reading through it, but um, this is, this is after now Jesus has done miracles. He's fed the 5,000. You know, you see him casting out demons. You see all these things Jesus is doing. And now in Luke 9, 57, what's happening is people are wanting to follow Christ. They are wanting to shine that light that we have, right? They want to go and do that. At least they think so, right? And so what happens in Luke 57, Jesus, you know, they, they go on and says, as they were going along the road, someone said, I will follow you wherever you go, right? Jesus probably hit us all the time. I'll go, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And then Jesus says to him, foxes have holes and birds in the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Think about this. What is Jesus highlighting here? What Jesus is highlighting is the reality of following him truly what it really means. It's not peaches and cream. It's uncomfortable. It's a sacrifice. It's giving up the comforts of life that we have today, right? Think about it, right? You know, if you look at Jesus' ministry and you watch, you know, read what he had done, he was just going from place to place, not showing where they were going to be at the next day, not showing where they were going to eat the next day, And all the people who are following him had to do the same. So if we're following Christ, we're doing something different. And it does take a level of sacrifice. 
I'm not telling you you can't have a house, right? I'm not telling you you don't have a car. But what I am saying is, is that are you truly sacrificing to drive towards what Jesus had for you? Or are you staying in your comfort zone? Are you staying in your comfort zone? You know, uh, it was interesting. Patricia and I, we went to uh, Las Vegas uh, last weekend, uh, this day last weekend, last Sunday. And uh, we were at the airport. And I was telling her a little bit about what I was going to do in the service and what I've been ta- thinking about and, and God has put on my heart. And I was like, but look, look at all these people we walk past. And we don't say a word to them. We don't shine any light on them. We just walk right past them. Right? And so then what I say is all you got to do is smile and say hello or smile and say Jesus loves you. Right? And I saw a lady walking by and she was, uh, didn't look really happy or nothing. So I just smiled and I was like, I don't know if I say God bless or Jesus loves you or something like that. I said one of those. And, you know, she said thank you. Right? Now, maybe that doesn't make a difference, but maybe it does. Right? Imagine if we were doing that over and over and over. Right? But how often are we in that comfort zone? It's like, nope, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to put my head down, not say anything to anyone else, and just go and do my business. How often are we doing that? Yeah, some of us may be shy. Some of us may be more introverted. But God has still called us to do a job. And that's what we're here to do. So if, I keep, if we keep going here, uh, the next one is uh, Luke uh, up in uh, 59 and 60, Luke 9, 59, 60. It says, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, when you hear that, it kind of seems like Jesus is like, a little harsh there, right? Like, man, your dad just died. Like, what's that about, right? But if you really think of it deeper, what is Jesus doing here? He's emphasizing the urgency and the priority of living for the kingdom of God. See, it's easy for us to have reasons why we can't go and do what God is calling us to do. Oh, I got to go and take care of my brother here. Oh, I got to go and watch my daughter swim. Oh, I got to go and, you know, uh, take care of my mom. Or, you know, I got to go and deal with some issue or whatever it may be. We could come up with every excuse and every reason of why we can't live out our purpose. Jesus is saying that's unacceptable. He's not saying like, hey, don't don't go and be there for your family. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, is that you're not prioritizing what's most important which is saving souls, right? We're so engulfed in this physical, we forget about the fact that the spiritual is more important. And so I want you to just ponder on, what does that look like for you? Is there an excuse that you have every time you need to go and encourage someone, love on someone, disciple to someone, or are you making that a priority for yourself? The last, uh, the last set of verses in 9 is uh, 61 and 62. And it says, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me, be, let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
So Jesus uses this metaphor here of this plowman to illustrate the focus and dedication required to serve the kingdom. Just like this plowman must look straight ahead when it's plowing or it's not going to be straight and it's going to go off, off track, God is saying the same thing. If we're going back and looking at our past lives or going back in our past lives, then we're going to get off track. We got to stay focused on what God is leading us towards. And so it's easy to go and start depending on ourselves again. I think about it all the time. Like, there's times where, like, I say, okay, today, I'm going to, everything I do, I'm going to filter it through Christ. Every single thing I do. I get through the first couple of hours. I feel good. My, my spirit is high. And something happens. Like, some little random thing comes up, and I'm like, I got that. And I completely forget about Christ. And I just start living life like normal again. Why is that? This world that we live in is like a magnet, and it will pull us in constantly. And we have to fight against that every moment of our lives, every minute of the, every day that we live. Are we thinking about God, or are we thinking about what we can do, or what we want, or what's most important to us on this earth? And so staying focused is a big key to being able to fulfill the purpose that God got got for us. Now think about these verses and consider the depth of commitment that you must have to truly be able to live out that priority that we have in life and that purpose. I believe these verses that I just read is really about what it's gonna take for us to really have commitment and follow Christ. Uh, You know, Let's ask this question. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to put these things as priority in your life first? Are you you willing to sacrifice at this level? It's going to take a lot. It's like a radical commitment. It's not just a normal commitment. This is a radical commitment to serving Christ and following his will. And I know it's hard. Trust me, I know it's hard because you think about it, then you stop trying to think about it because you think about how hard it's going to be. But it's our jobs to really make sure we lean into it as well and ask God to help us out. And once you live in it, you realize it's not that hard. You realize, man, there's something beautiful about it. Going back to that Harvey situation I talked about. It was hard physically, right? Yeah, and you're not having time to do other stuff. You're doing this and that. But I can tell you, my spirit was filled. And I felt amazing because I know I was doing God's work. So ask yourself, are you doing God's work? Why did, why did God say, hey, we got to do this, right? We know the commitment it takes. We know how difficult it is. But why did God say, this is our job to so go after? And I go, I go back to that Luke 10. Go to Luke 10, that first couple of verses there. And it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I thought about what that meant. And I said, you know, like, what is God really saying here? And I believe this is why we have to do what God is asking us to do. I'm going to break it down for you. I want to break it down about the harvest first. What is the harvest? 
The harvest are people who are ready to hear the gospel and receive salvation. This is something that I learned. I wasn't thinking about it, really. I was thinking about the harvest is everybody. But the harvest is the people who are ready to be ripe, like ready to rip out. You know, they're ready to get the, we ready to get the reaping, right, right? Because the harvest is ready. It's ready to come out. These are people who are walking around waiting for someone to tell them about Jesus. So think about this. There's someone out here that you walk by or interact with, and they just need to hear something about Jesus or see Jesus' light to be able to go and like say, hey, you know what? I want salvation. And yet you don't ever tell them anything. You may interact with them every day. It may be somebody at your job. You interact with every single day, and they have no idea that you're a Christian. They have no idea of what that means. They have no idea of the love that you have for them. Think about that. We are not doing the job that God has called us to do when there are people out there who just want to hear the word so they can be in the fold. That's why Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. Now, unless you're telling me Jesus is lying, that means there's people out there who just need to hear his word. Now, let's go to the other side of this, the laborers. Who are the laborers? The laborers in this scenario, oh, actually, we can go back to that slide. Go back. There's a slide here. I just wanted to show you guys this because I think it's important from a data perspective. So, you know, a lot of times I like to look at data as well. And this was shocking to me. In in about 10 years, there's been over a 10% decrease, 10 percentage points decrease in people who identify themselves as Christians. And both male and female. That's pretty awing to me, right? And I can tell you, this was, this was to 19, uh, 2019. It's gotten worse. Less people are coming to church. You know, after COVID, it was hard to, it's hard to get people back in church now. It's 35, 40% plus people in the U.S. walking around right now who doesn't have salvation. Now, I'm not saying all of them are, are the harvest, but let's say it's only 10% of them that's a harvest. That's a significant number of people who just needs to hear the word of God. And if you're not going to do it, who's going to do it? Right? If, if we are not going to do it, and we're not going to go and actually share God's light, who's going to do it? And so, you know, I go back and back it up with data. It just shows that there's a lot of people out there ready for the ripening. So if we move to the next ones, the laborers. The laborers, who are the laborers? These are people and Christians who are actively engaged and working for God's kingdom. These are people who are living their lives with a purpose to go and bring others to Christ, with a purpose to love on others. And those things look different in different forms and different ways. But we got to be honest with ourselves. Are we consistently doing that? That's who the laborers are, right? Are you a laborer? Think about it. Are you a laborer? Now, in the Bible, these are called out. But God has given me a brain, too, to kind of deduce things and understand what's going on. So I use a little bit of math. I say, okay, I got the harvest. I got the laborers. 
what's left? And I came up with this called the spectators, right? So the spectators. These are, this is everyone else who has professed it, their faith but remains inactive in sharing Jesus. Ooh, are you a spectator? Now, I'll probably put my hand halfway up. Like, you know, I got to go back and forth, you know, and so I'm not consistent as a laborer. Ask yourself where you fall in at. Do you want to be a spectator? If there's, the laborers are few, that means most of us are spectators. So that, the probability alone will tell you that most of us in this room right now are spectators. Even if you want to tell yourself you're not, probability alone tells us we are. Because Jesus said the laborers are few. How do we change this? And it's critical in this day and time to change this. Many believe we're coming to the end of days. There's a lot of science that shows that, right? Are we okay with letting ourselves get to the end of the line and be able to say, you know what? I didn't live out my purpose. I didn't really help anybody. Are you okay with that? So it's a question to really think about for yourself. Which are you? What do you want to be? I'm going to help you understand what your harvest field looks like. This next slide is a set of questions. And these questions, I want you to just mentally start to think through them. The first question is, how many people did you encounter over the past seven days? Just think about it. For the last week, how many people did you actually encounter? Whether it's at the gas station, grocery store, at work, uh, walking down in your neighborhood. Just come up with a number. Estimate it. The last week, how many people you would say you encountered? How many phone calls did you make or receive right, with different people? You know, 10, 20, 30, right? I don't do a lot of phone calls, so mine's is probably in the last week, I would say maybe like 30, 40, maybe 40, 50, right? Um, how many emails did you send or receive in the past seven days? Now, that one for me is going to be crazy. I guarantee you I probably have 50 just sitting up here speaking right now. That's how my emails are. So I get a lot of emails. Some of it's junk. Everybody get the junk stuff. But you get real emails as well in that, right? So I'm talking about the real emails, not the junk stuff, right? How many people have you friended or followed on social media? See, so I don't know a lot about this because I don't have social media outside of LinkedIn. But for those I understand who have social media, you look at that number. You probably know that number better than everything else here right now. I got 2,543 friends right now, right? We know that number. How many friends do you have? How many people are you following? How many friend, people are friending you and following you, right? And I want you to just think about that and put it in perspective. What, what is that? Estimate it. I want you to do that now. Estimate it, and I want you to total that up. Just round off, total it up. I just want a couple of people to shout out what their total number is. How many? 30? For the total number? Okay, 30. For the week? Okay. Anyone else?
200. You got 200 over here, right? Anybody feel like they have more than 500? Anybody got more than 500? I think I have more than 500. But let's say, let's say that the average is 100 in a week. You have 100 people that you have an opportunity to shine your light towards. 100 people. If you take our entire church population, it's somewhere around 130, 140, 50, somewhere around that, right? So now if you add that to it, now you have like over 10,000 people. Think about it. Our influence to make a difference and be able to shine a light on people is significant. We don't know everybody who is the harvest. We don't know that. But we can shine our light everywhere. Are you shining your light? Now, if you really think about this, if you want to really ask yourself, where do you fall in that category we talked about earlier? If you have 100 people that you interacted with, how many of them did you shine your light on? One? I bet you there are some people who have zero. And again, this is not to bring us down, but it's about what are we here for and what are we trying to do? What does God have for us? If we are not following the path that Christ has for us, we are really wasting a lot of time. Because no matter how far you go in your work, no matter how many trips you go on, no matter you know, all the people you just hang out with and have a good time with, if you're not shining your light, none of it matters. It all goes away. It all expires. When we shine our light of Christ, it's eternal. That's the difference. So as we, as we keep moving, I have three takeaways from here, three things I want you to think about as you move forward and really thinking about how do you make shining your light of Jesus, shining the light of Jesus a priority in your life and your primary priority. First is to clearly establish your eternal purpose and your priority. You know, um, what made me think about this uh, a couple of, um, couple of weeks ago and kind of pivoted my sermon was uh, I was, had an opportunity to meet with a, a guy named Flip Flippin. I think I have a picture of him. Uh, Flip Flippin, you, if you heard of Flip, Flip is an entrepreneur, he's an author, uh, he owns the Flippin Group. Uh, if you're in the educational world, you probably know who he is. Because uh, he has the, uh, what's it called, uh, Capturing Kids' Hearts. Uh, that's a big training out there in the kids' world. Uh, they're like one of the top educational providers for education, his, his organization is. They also work in the corporate world. That's how I connected with Flip. And so uh, I get an opportunity to get uh, coaching from him on a quarterly basis. And so a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was at a coaching uh, uh, session with him. And... It was interesting because um, Flip is a Christian, uh, and, you know, he leads his business in that way. And he was telling me how he figured out his calling and what God had for him. And I thought it was very interesting. It inspired me. You know, he, he went to God and prayed and asked God, like, that day I meet you, what do you want to know, right? What are you going to be asking me? Right? And he you know, diligently went and prayed and just asked God and really got to a, a place where God was able to give him clarity on that. 
And one of the questions is, God is going to ask him, tell me who you are. Who are you? Are you a, a person who are claiming my name and a spectator and not really doing anything to actually help bring, build a kingdom? Or are you someone who are truly living it out? He also is, uh, he was also told by God was to entrust, he's, God has entrusted him with some gifts and talents and a team of people. And God is going to ask him, did you spend your time, you, did you spend them well for a great purpose, right? So did, did you spend them well to shine more light out there of Christ? Did you celebrate them and did you reward them? And I thought those were important because not only you're shining, you, you, especially as a leader, you're, you're helping shine through them, but also you have to be able to be a light to them as well, right? And sometimes that shining comes in a lot of different forms, are you rewarding people? Are you encouraging people? When something's good and happening in someone's life, are you there with them? Are you sitting there being jealous about it and envious, right? Or are you talking about them or saying they shouldn't have that? How is that shining a light? When someone upsets you and do something wrong, do you forgive them? Forgiveness is shining a light. Being like Jesus, right? Or do you just hold it a grudge against them. And that's an easy one right now. How many people right now do you have a grudge against? How many people do you have a problem with? I have, a pro- I have no problem with anyone. I, I, that's the one thing that I don't really struggle a lot with is forgiveness. I get, you know, someone may, you know, do something and I can get over it quickly. But I know people who have problems with individuals and it holds them back. It's not the individual being held back. It's them being held back. Right, so we should be celebrating each other, not breaking each other down. We should be encouraging each other. And so when, when Flip told me this, you know, ultimately I feel like God is asking Flip, uh, did he shine the light of Jesus on those who God has placed in his life? Are you shining the light of Jesus on the people that God has put in your life? Are you doing that? And if you're not, what do you need to do to move forward? Um, I'm going to put it in a different perspective from a family perspective, and I'm going to have uh, Kyra, my daughter, come up here real quick. Kyra, you going to come up real quick? Let's see if one of these, are one of these mics on? Testing, testing, nope. Testing, testing, testing. There we go. All right, so Kyra, uh, she is my second youngest, uh, and she's 16 now, and, uh, you know, for in our lives, we've had a family purpose that we've lived by for over the last 12 years now. And so I was going to have Kyra tell you what our family purpose is, as well as what our priorities are that we live by each and every day. Uh, Hello. Um, Our family purpose is eternally obeying God as a family by knowing Jesus Christ and loving our neighbors. Alpha, A, Almighty, start with God, walk with God, and end with God. L, love, help and love people more often. P, priorities, align family priorities. H, happiness, remain content, happy, and motivated. And A, actions, obey authority with a positive attitude. Thank you, Kyra. Appreciate it. So, you know, like you may think Kyra had to remember that, but she really didn't. It's something that she's known and it's been instilled in her for over 10 years now, right? And so in Zuri, the same, and my other daughters as well. 
and we live it out. We do our best to live it out, right? I'm not saying we're perfect, right? So we do our best to live it out. And um, if you go to the next slide, you'll see um, uh, we have a system that we created. It's called uh, the Zika family system. Zika is my daughter's initials. Uh, We created this at that time uh, because it was really figuring out how do we establish something that helps us stay on track and stay focused. And so uh, you can see the house on on the right there. That house means something because you have a clear purpose. It starts at the foundation, and then you develop priorities, and ultimately you develop a plan that takes action to actually get better and actually focus on what God is having you do. And lastly, you have a process to check and adjust, a process to improve, right? And so uh, I put there, you can see at the bottom it says, Jesus loves you. And I put this there because this is one of the most profound things that happened to me because of this system. Wasn't even anything, it kind of just ran into me. I wasn't even looking for it. So this was about 10 years or 11 years ago. We were working on, you know, what actions or what, what it says plan. What are our plans? What activities are we going to do to do exactly the priorities, uh, live out those priorities Kyra mentioned? That first priority, which is almighty, start with God, walk with God, and end with God. So we say in our daily lives, how do we start with God, walk with God, end with God? Now, we do things like devotions. We've been doing that forever. We're reading the Bible together, and that's part of uh, the Almighty, right? And, and starting with God, walking God, and with God, praying in the middle of the day. But we're asking, what else could we do? And at this time, my oldest daughter is, I don't know, eight or nine at that, at that time, Isis. And Isis comes up with this idea of handing out little pieces of paper that says, Jesus loves you on it to people. Now, you got to understand at that time, I wasn't, you wouldn't see me up here, right? I was not the type to sit there and like go and like tell people about Jesus. I believed in Christ, but I was a 100% spectator, right? You know, like I'll believe in Christ. I may pay a tie here or there, and that was about it. Like go to church, like that was it. Like I'm nothing else. But when ISIS said that, I was like, man, okay, that's kind of brave, okay? It was like two times a week. And so we decided to go and do it. So they made like thousands of those. Now, I actually took that picture. It was in my wallet. It's still in my wallet right now. I have like a few of them that I keep in my wallet. I took that yesterday, and you can see it's all beat up, right? But it was crazy because uh, when we first started it, I was kind of like worried to do it. But you know what? I noticed something. The girls wasn't. They would go up to anybody. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And I'm like, man, I don't know them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Like, you're like, hold up, you know? It felt a little bit weird to do it, right? But then I start thinking, you know what? That's what a child's heart is. You know, God talked about we must be like children. That's what a child's heart is. And I started to give one out here, one out there. And eventually I started to get in the routine of it. And then there was one, one scenario where it showed me the power of this. At this time, I was working at Granger, and I had to start traveling overseas. And so I had to get these, like, series of shots, you know, so you can get ready to travel overseas. And we, had a, uh, we have a medical clinic there in the facilities. So I go to the medical clinic, and I'm sitting there. You got to wait for like 45 minutes or whatever after you take the shot. And I was like, man, you know, just sitting there. I was like, you know what? I haven't gave out one of these Jesus loves you. So I gave it to the, the nurse lady who was, who was working on me. I gave it to her because she was kind of quiet, and she didn't really say anything. I just gave it to her and said, Jesus love you. She didn't say anything. But that wasn't weird because people would take it and not say anything many times. So she didn't say anything. And I have to come back to get another shot a few weeks later. And um, I see her again. 
And she was filled with excitement. She was like, man, I've been looking for you. She said, you know, you remember last time you were here, you gave me the Jesus love you thing. She said, well, that very day I was down because my best friend's uh, young son got killed in a car accident. And she said when she, after work, she went there and went back and, uh, and she gave the Jesus loves you to her best friend. And she said, I got them in a conversation and they were able to be at comfort and peace, understanding that this is God's plan. And she told me that her best friend ended up giving it to someone else. And I was just shocked. I was like, wow, I can't believe this single little piece of paper that my eight-year-old came up with is now actually touching people's lives in a way that I would never have thought it would. How did all that come about? That's the bigger question here, right? It came about by starting with a clear purpose and developing clear priorities and actually actions to go and fulfill those priorities. This would never have come about because of that. So, you know, I actually give my kids credit and help me get closer to Christ because they were able to see something that I didn't see. Right? Now, today, I have no problem going out and give Jesus loves you. But I would tell you it is still something in them. A couple of years ago, my daughter was working at the company that I work for uh, in the summer. And I think Kyra was there and Isis and I guess they were just bored because they were waiting for me because I worked late. So they were bored or whatever, and they decided to take sticky notes and write, Jesus loves you on each sticky note, and they put it in every person's office. I didn't even know they did it. The next day, people was like, man, what did these Jesus love you? And one lady's like, man, this really make a difference. And I didn't realize it was for my daughters until they told me, and I realized that's what it was. And even today, that was a couple of years ago, there's a few of them still up there. Right? People still have them. Right? That just shows you the power of what we can do just by doing a little bit. God ain't, like, God ain't asking you to go and jump off roofs and do all this Superman tactics. It's just live life and shine, shine Jesus through us. That's all he's asking us to do. And so, again, we must establish our clear, a clear eternal purpose and know what that is for us so that we can move forward with it. Next, we must walk with Jesus at all times. You know, I kind of talked about truly being a child. That's what it's about. I need my parent. I need my dad. God, what do I do? What do I do in this situation? Because I need you versus us thinking that we got all the answers. Right? We have to walk with Christ at all times. And, you know, uh, the, the, third, the third one is really important because I think this is where we all struggle at is we have to have unsinkable faith. What is unsinkable faith? It's an undivided commitment to doing the work of the kingdom. No matter what, in the good and bad times, knowing that Jesus is the only answer, whether things are amazing or things are, the season is horrible. Unsinkable faith. Because there's a lot of people out there today who will walk in God and talk with God until they have that moment where it feels like their world is just falling apart. And what do they do? They run from God then. The one time you need them, you're running away. We must have unsinkable faith, faith that no one else can break. And that means even when people are acting crazy around you and you're like, man, I don't know what's going on, you still shine your light. That means when people are arguing and family members are arguing, you shine your light. 
That means when church members are not really talking to each other and they're, you know, dealing with issues, you still shine your light. That means when people are sick and ill, you still shine your light, right? Look, look we just talked about Shelly, right? And I told, uh, you know, I remember when Pastor Randy first told me about this. He called me and told me about Shelly. And I was like, you know what? It's just another testimony from God. Like, I had no worries because I've seen God work. I've seen God work in John twice, Right? Like, when these times, these difficult challenges in our lives happen, are we still walking with Christ and saying, hey, this is just another opportunity for us to harvest? Or are we going to sit back and be a spectator? What do we do in that moment? I'm going to end with this, guys. There's a guy named John Harper. Harper. I don't know if you guys ever heard of a guy named John Harper. There's a picture of him right there. Uh, John Hopper, uh, he was a, a pastor who um, was also uh, in Scottish. So he was a Scottish Baptist minister who boarded the Titanic in April of 1912. He was traveling uh, to the Moody Church in Chicago, where he had been invited to preach for three months. Harper was a widower, so he, he had his uh, six-year-old daughter, uh, and Nana, and his sister with him as they were uh, going to Chicago. From the very beginning of the trip, this is on the Titanic, John would share Jesus with everybody he encountered. It wasn't pushy. I am not asking you guys to go and push Jesus. Like, you know, I'm not telling you you need to go on a street corner and you need to yell to the top of your lungs. But he was sharing Jesus through showing people love, to giving people things that they needed, to being able to laugh with them, to encourage people. He was sharing Jesus in every possible way. And many of the survivors from the Titanic talked about how several people were saved even before any of the ship stuff happened. And as the Titanic uh, struck an iceberg and began to sink, Harper's first action was to ensure his daughter and his sister were placed on the lifeboats. He had the opportunity to join them because they were in the high class. You know, and you know that with the, the, if you're in a higher class, you're able to get a boat. He had the opportunity to join them, but he refused to. Instead, he decided that he needed to focus on the spiritual needs for everybody around him. Think about that. I just, let's pause there for a second. He decided that he wasn't going to go and save himself. He has souls to save. That's, that's pretty amazing. As the ship was sinking, Harper was seen moving about the deck, passionately pleading with people to turn to Christ. Survivors actually reported that he continued to witness to others, even as the icy waters began to claim the ship. In the frigid waters of the Atlantic, as people clung to debris and floating, uh, floating on life jackets, Harper swam from person to person. Imagine this. In the dark, cold water, swimming from person to person, offering the hope of salvation with their dying breaths. One particular story really stands out. Harper approached a young man who had uh, climbed on a piece of debris to hold himself up in the water. Harper asked him if he was saved, and the young man replied that he was not. Harper tried to lead him to Christ, but the man refused. And Harper then took off his life jacket and threw it to him saying, you need this more than I do. And he urged, this is something else he did, people who were going on a lifeboats who were Christians, he urged them to get off and let the people on 
who aren't saved. Think about the commitment, the understanding, the clarity of what our true purpose is. Harper understood that. He understood that if individuals who don't know Christ die, they don't have eternal salvation. He also understood that he already had eternal salvation. So his job, and he went to fulfill it. How do I get more people saved? Shortly after, um, you know, uh, well, as Harper kept going around leading people to Christians, he went back to that young man who he left his, uh, he left his life jacket with, and that guy actually accepted salvation. And what's interesting about that is shortly after that, Harper drowned, and the young man who Harper saves, uh, his uh, uh, final act, uh, you know, was, you know, saving this guy, helping get him to salvation, this guy was one of the six people out of 1,517 people pulled out from the icy waters. He was one of the six survivors. And so uh, at the survivors meeting about four years later in Ontario, this young man stands up and tears up, and he recounts the, uh, how John Harper led him to Christ. And he has said that I'm John Harper's last convert. Think about John Harper. Think about who he did. It's just so inspirational to me. Like, I feel like, man, I am way off, right? When I, when I understand what true purpose is about and living out that purpose. Harper's story is a powerful illustration of the verse we just talked about in Luke, t- Luke 10, right? A powerful. Even in the face of certain death, he knew he was going to die. Harper still acted as a laborer of the harvest for God. He shared the gospel with urgency and focus. And he did everything he can to save as many lives as he can spiritually. Are you willing to do something like that? Are you willing to be that selfless? His legacy is really a reminder to, uh, that I would call uh, a call to action to be able to actually step up and say, how do we step up and be better? Our church, we can start there. As a church body, as a family, how do we end up changing how we approach what our life is about? How do we place God right front and center of it? Where every day we are focused on how do we get to more people? How do we shine our light with more people? And God has given all of you talents He's given me talents. He's given all his talents. Leverage the talents God has given us. The tactics are different, but the purpose is the same. Our job is to shine a light. How we do that is different. If you have a business, how are you shining a light with your business? What are you doing? There's businesses out there today who are shining lights with their business and leveraging that. With your family, are you shining a light with your family? This is an opportunity for this church to shine a light. In the freezing cold and darkness, the light of Jesus shined through John Harper. Will you let that light shine through you today? I encourage each and every one of us to pray on this, reflect on this, and ask God to help us shine our light brighter each and every day.
Thank you. Lord Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. I want to thank you, Lord, for just being a mighty God who loves us so much, who have made us special even though we don't deserve it. I thank you, Lord, for sharing the light of Christ in each and every one of us and allowing us to be a chosen people, Lord. And I ask you today, Lord, to help each of us to get clear about what our purpose is and our priorities in this world and to help us be able to take action to shine a light of Christ through us. We ask you, Lord, to help us also create accountability in our lives and to be able to have the people in our lives to hold us uh, uh, accountable, inspire us, and encourage us to do your will. We thank you for this service. We thank you for this time. And we love you, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for uh, uh, listening. I'm sorry I was a little longer than I wanted to be. But um, we'll, we'll end like we always end. We just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. Thank you.